Oh, it's good to be here. It was great being with you last night. The brother who made announcements, that was like an incredible summary of uh, last night. So thank you so much for that. It was better than I could have actually explained it myself. So that was awesome. Uh, okay, so my personal testimony, uh, man, three minutes. Okay, so I, uh, I'm going to try to condense this. I, um, I, uh, <laughs> I grew up in a family. They weren't believers. I, my, I was baptized Catholic. My father was Catholic, but he was an atheist, so he didn't believe in God. But I went to elementary school and Catholic school, and then I went to North Catholic High School in Philadelphia. And... Uh, my mother wasn't Catholic. She was a Methodist but didn't go to church and was kind of nominal. So I grew up in a family where it was not a believing family. Um, we didn't go to church except for Christmas and Easter and so forth. Um, but then I'm in Catholic school, and it's my junior year in Catholic school, and I have to start taking religion classes, which are part of the curriculum. And, um, you know, I... I was trying to, you know, debate with some of the teachers and they were saying this, you know, certain things. And I say, well, why is it that one group says we believe this and another group says they believe this? And I'm thinking about my, my father who's Catholic and my mother who's Protestant. And, and so I'm trying to, you know, debate a little bit. And, and so why is this? And so as part of this process of me, in a sense, arguing with what I was interacting with, I started to go home and start to read the Bible just to kind of come up with some arguments to, to say, well, why does the Bible say this and why do you believe this and so forth? So that went on for, you know, a couple of months and I was going home and reading the Bible and God was doing something in my heart and, and I started to read it more and more and uh, then it started to, something started to change where now I'm actually going home and I'm actually like, reading it because I wanted to read it, and God was doing something in my heart. And over a period of like three or four months, I was just like, I don't know, sometimes I think it was almost like I was getting addicted to reading the scripture, and I was coming home, and I was excited about it, and I was like, oh my goodness, and it wasn't any longer about like going into class and arguing, it's just something was happening. And uh, probably about four or five months after that, I put my faith in Christ. Someone, I was looking for someone who could explain the gospel to me. So I asked around and found someone who was a cousin, uncle, whatever. And they shared the gospel and it changed my world. And I just, God just, for the first time in my life, I felt this forgiveness. And I felt like there was this cleansing and I was like this new creation. And so I went back to school and I started to talk to my friends about that you put your faith in Christ and, and it's through Christ that we're forgiven and he's done everything on the cross to make us clean and to bring us back into a relationship with God. And I started to share this and talk about salvation by grace. It's only by the grace of God that you're saved. And this was going on for a couple of months and I got called to the principal's office. And they said, uh, Kevin, we want you to stop talking about what you believe. And I said, I'm just talking about Jesus. And they said, well, we want you to stop talking about what you believe, okay? And if it doesn't stop, we're going to ask you to leave the school. I said, here, I'm just talking about Jesus, and you don't want me to talk. Anyway, so I left that me meeting with Father Dalton. And, uh, you know, at this point, I have friends, and they're asking questions and so forth. And so uh, they're asking me things, and I'm talking, and... Um, my one friend comes down to me and says, uh, you know, he went to class apparently and uh, the teacher was teaching and, and the teacher, uh, the, the student said, well, Kevin King said this. 
And the teacher said, well, Kevin believes in, you know, believes in the Bible, not in God. You know what I mean? And so that was going on. And, and so I figured, well, I can't talk to students, so I'll talk to some of the priests at the school. So I went to the, the chaplain and I was asking questions. And then the religion department called my house saying that, uh, you know, Kevin offended the chaplain. And I, I was just asking questions. Um, so th- this whole thing was going on. I was talking to students. I was trying not to talk too much, but people were talking to me and I was talking to them. And now it's my senior year, about a month before I'm ready to graduate. And I got called to the principal's office again. And I walk in and Father Dalton's there with about four or five other priests, the chaplain, some of my other teachers. There's like eight or nine teachers there. And they said, Kevin, we warned you once. We told you that if you continue to talk about what you believe, we're going to ask you to leave the school. And it's continued. And I said, I'm just talking about Jesus. I said, there's guys on different sports teams who have like Satan written on their school books who say they go to black mass. How come you're not asking them to leave? They're, they're, you know, that's actually against the gospel. And, uh, and they said, we've asked you to stop and it's continued. And so they said, we're going to make a decision. Now, this is a month before I was ready to graduate. I didn't think that they would actually kick me out. Um, that week, my father died, actually. So they, I think they felt bad for me. They let me graduate. Over the summer, my cross-country track coach asked me to come back and be the, the freshman coach, which I said, I'd love to do that. So I came back to the school, started coaching, and then all the priests of the school signed a petition that I shouldn't coach there. So I ended up in Father Dalton's office again. As you can see, Father Dalton and I were becoming quite close. Um, Anyway, that whole thing ended. So then I went to Bible college because I was just so excited about sharing the gospel. And I was just so passionate about talking about this salvation by grace alone that only comes through Christ. So I go to school. I was expecting to see all these people in Bible college who were passionate about sharing their faith. And I was Quite surprised and disappointed, but I did find somebody else who also grew up in a Catholic family who became a believer, and him and I decided to go after we went to church in the morning, we decided to go to Mass every day, every Sunday, and start talking to people. So we're uh, going to Mass. I'm going to tell you a couple stories just to kind of give it clear. We're going to Mass, um, but we're talking to people about the gospel afterwards, um, and this is going on for a number of months, and... uh, then during one of the services, um, the priest stands up. It's in Philly, this kind of big, like, big Catholic church, um, full. And he stands up and he says, before I give the homily, I'd like to bring a matter of great concern to the church. Um, for uh, many months now, we've had some uh, people who've been coming, uh, very unwelcome guests. We've asked them to leave, which it never happened. But we asked them to leave, but they've continued to come, and they're wolves among the sheep, and they're seated within this congregation right now. Oh my gosh, my heart was like this. I felt like standing up and saying, where are they? Let's get them. Let's get them. <laughs> anyway, we went to the, the, the father afterwards, the priest afterwards, and we said, hey, we're just talking about Jesus and so forth. And he says, well, we don't want you to be doing that. And we're like, okay. So we stopped going there. We went to another Catholic church. And Now, this is interesting. So we're at this church for a number of months, and we're outside talking to some people. And uh, two ladies come out with the priest and say, there they are. They're the guys who are talking uh, and and so forth. So the priest says, can I I talk to you guys? So we go inside, and he says, what are you doing? And I said, here, I went to North Catholic. I share my testimony. This is what happened. This is how I became a believer. I became a follower of Jesus. The priest says this to me. 
he says, this is awesome. Can you share this with our youth group? So I wanted to make sure I shared that story because it's not so much about Catholic, not Catholic. I don't want to communicate that. It's about people who understand that Jesus has done everything for us to, to earn our salvation, to save us from our sins, to make us clean, and that we can have life in him. And there are lots of people in the Catholic church, and there's lots of people in the Baptist church, and there's lots of people in the Methodist church who understand that, and there's lots of people who don't understand it because religion is just a cultural thing and if you're here maybe you're here and you have not put your faith in Christ for your salvation alone and maybe you're just coming because it's a good thing to do or maybe you're trusting in yourself that I implore you on Christ's behalf to put your faith in Christ and trust in him for your salvation it is completely by grace Um, so that's my story but actually I need to go a little bit further I think I've gone over three minutes so I'm gonna have to really change some things this morning so then I decide, me and a friend, after we, the same guy that we did this ministry with, after we graduated from college, we decided to backpack around Europe. And, you know, I went to college thinking the only thing, I didn't know about missionaries. I just thought you go to college to learn the Bible, like a Bible college to learn the Bible and maybe become a pastor. Um, so... But we graduate and we start backpacking around Europe. And we didn't have a lot of money. So what we did was we were connected with different churches. And we said, hey, are there any missionaries in Europe that we can connect with? So we got the names of missionaries. We got over there and we called them up. We'd say, hey, Joe, my name's Kevin. I go to this church and I know that the church is partnering with you. I was just wondering if I could stop over and say hello. Um, And we'd stop over there and they'd say, oh, do you guys want something to eat? And we'd be like, yeah, sure, that would be great. And then they'd say, so where are you staying tonight? Ah, I don't know. We'll find something. Do you want to stay here? Oh, that would be wonderful. (laughs) That would be wonderful. So out of the 60 days we were in Europe, 30 of those days we stayed in missionaries' homes, sleeping on floors and out on balconies and so forth. And it was wonderful. But what this did, even though my intent was to kind of mooch off of the missionaries, God was actually using that to, to... hear stories of how he's working and the lostness of people in Europe. And there are places where people, you know, whole cities where there's no people who proclaim salvation by grace in Christ alone. And and there's people who want to hear it. And God started to open my eyes to missions. And I started to think, man, in in the U.S., there's so much opportunity for people to hear. Even if they don't believe, there's opportunity and in Europe, it's so, so much less of an opportunity for people to hear. And that opened my eyes to missions. And then um, I go to seminary and I start to hear about unreached people groups. And I start to hear about people groups that have where there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in cities with not one person who's a believer, or there's no message of the gospel in these places. And this is where God started to move in our heart, my wife and I, to say, hey, we want to dedicate our lives uh, to see the gospel taken to unreached people groups. Now, I used to go to these mission conferences at, at school and at churches, and I'd hear missionaries get up and say, oh, God broke my heart for this people group. And, you know, maybe like for Arabs or for Bangladeshi people or for the Wolof people or something. And I was like, why isn't, why isn't my heart being broken for any specific people group? And I thought there was something wrong with me because, you know, missionaries, they, they just fall in love with a people group. And I was like, well, I don't really have any desire to reach any specific 
people group. I just want to see the gospel taking the people who don't have any opportunity to hear. And so my wife and I were like, well, where should we go? And through a whole number of different events, God took us to New York City because God is bringing unreached people groups in the hundreds and hundreds of thousands to New York City. In my neighborhood, there's 100,000 people from uh, West Africa. 100,000 unreached people, people from unreached people groups in West Africa, in Harlem. I live in Harlem and up into the Bronx. And we have major enclaves all around the city. We have another neighborhood where there's about 60,000 Pakistani unbelievers. And we have another area where there's about 40 to 50,000 people from Bangladesh. And we have a team reaching about 30 to 50,000 Arab Muslims in Brooklyn. So we have these major enclaves all around the city of unreached people groups. And there's very, very little exposure to the gospel. And so our, my wife, God brought my wife and I there. And that's where we've been working for the last 20 years. Now we have a team in Dallas reaching Hindus. We have a team in Rome, Italy, reaching South Asians. And God is expanding um, our ministry. But our passion is to see the gospel taken to unreached people groups, people who have little or no opportunity to hear. I don't care what people group they're from. That is our desire. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. And I'm going to have to kind of make some alterations here because I think I probably went way too long on my testimony. All right. Our brother shared this morning an overview of last night. But I'm going to do that again just very quickly. Just in God's heart from the very beginning we see from Genesis all the way to Revelation that God's passion is to fill the earth with his glory. And we see, as, as our brother shared in Genesis 1, it says that God created them and it says to fill the earth, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now you're saying you're going too fast for this, I know. But you, I highlighted the parts that I really want you to see. So God's plan from the beginning is to fill the earth with his glory. Habakkuk talks about God's overall vision. Through all of his plan for humanity, in Habakkuk 2, 14, it says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That will happen. This is even after the fall. God's plan is that his glory will fill the earth and that there are people from every people group around his throne worshiping him. We see in Matthew 24, uh, Jesus' intent and God's intent that there will be people from all the people groups worshiping before the end comes. It says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world, okay, as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. God's plan is that the gospel is proclaimed to all nations. And then we see in Matthew 28 what's called the Great Commission. The very last thing that Jesus says before he's taken up to the Father, before he leaves his disciples, is this. He says this in Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I will be with you always till the very end of the age. But he basically says, go and make disciples of all nations. Nations. Now, this word nations is the Greek word ethnos. That's actually the Greek word. And this is how it's spelled in English. But do you know what that is the root word that we have? Ethnicity. Ethnicity. So when it says go and make disciples of all nations, it's talking about all ethnic groups, all people groups. And a people group is defined by ethnicity, defined by um, 
ethnicity, culture, and language. And the reason we need to focus on people groups, not only is it because God desires to have people groups from all, you know, every people group around his throne, but we need to send missionaries to different people groups because the gospel does not spread from one people group easily to the next people group because of culture, language, and various barriers that prevent it from spreading. So we need to see the gospel go out individually and separately to all of these different people groups and raise up workers who will do that. So that's God's heart is to see the gospel taken to every people group. And as our brother shared this morning, I think someone read from Revelation 5. And it says that that with the blood of Jesus, with your blood, you have purchased for God persons from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. This is God's ultimate plan, and we are part of that plan. We are part of that plan because that great commission that Jesus gave was to us. That great commission that Jesus gave was not only to us corporately, but was to us individually. That Jesus, if you read the scripture, Jesus is actually saying to you right now, go and make disciples of all nations. And of course, yes, we, as, as our brother shared the other day, you know, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Yes, you're going to start in Jerusalem. You're going to start with your family. You're going to start with your friends. You're going to start with your colleagues. But the question is, how will we be a part of seeing the gospel go out to the ends of the earth? We need to be a part of all of those areas. And God is going to call some of you to go, and all of us should be willing to say, I will go. And God will call some of us to send people. And we send them by being committed to praying and financially sending them out so that they can take the message. So God has called all of us to be a part of the Great Commission. This is our mission in the world so that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. So from Genesis to Revelation... Uh, our, our vision, our mission, God's plan is to fill the earth with the glory, uh, with his glory. And that's basically to bring the gospel to every ethnicity, every culture, every language. Basically, this means to every people group. So that's a summary. Now, last night, we looked at Jonah. Now, Jonah, just as a quick summary, Jonah was called by God to take this message, God's message, to the city of Nineveh. And there was 120,000 people there, but Jonah didn't want to go. And Jonah didn't care about the people, didn't want to go, and God ultimately confronts him in the end and says, how dare you? Here is a city where there's 120,000 people who have no idea of who I am, and have no they just don't know enough information to choose right or wrong or to choose to follow me or not. And you couldn't care less. They have never heard, and God calls Jonah to go, and Jonah says, I don't want to. You know what? And I can tell you, if you're, you know, any of us who are here today, you can probably resonate with Jonah. If God were to say to you right now, go to this people group, and there's going to be all kinds of sacrifices that you have to make. And these are a people that you actually don't even like, to be honest with you. Um, they've made your life horrible. And God calls you to go. What's going to happen in your heart right now? You're going to be like, 
I don't think so. I don't think so. So before we get too hard on Jonah, now let me just say, Jonah was, his heart was hardened to God. All I'm saying is that we can resonate with that because all of our hearts get hardened to God and we need to work to keep our hearts pliable and soft and we need to constantly bow down and submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, just soften my heart because our hearts get hard so easily and we create idols. Our hearts are idol-making factories. And our hearts are constantly creating idols that we're bowing down to. And God is saying, no, reject that idol and come back to me. You see, idols are constantly promising us happiness. If you have more money, then you'll be happy. Then you'll be comfortable. If you get that promotion, then you'll be happy. If you finally get married, then you'll be happy. Once you have grandchildren, then you'll be happy. Once you retire, then you'll be happy. And we start living for all of these things. And if God says, I want you to do this, we become hardened because we're listening to our idols. We're believing our idols. Our hearts are idol-making factories. We have to reject those because God is saying, if you really want to be happy, if you really want to experience joy, trust me. Follow me. I'm not going to hurt you. You're going to experience the fullness of life. Just follow where I call you to go. Whether that's, whether that's to your neighbor down the street. I was talking in a church uh, about a year ago about turning up our spiritual volumes. And in Deuteronomy 6, we see this idea of turning up our spiritual lives so that our neighbors and our family and friends can see it. And... Uh, and this, after I got done this talk, a guy uh, goes home and he sees his neighbor in the yard. And they didn't have a fence between their yards. And the neighbor was picking up, you know, branches that fell down between their yards. And he goes out there and he had never talked to this guy spiritually. And he decided today was going to be the day. God spoke to him after this talk when the sermon. And he said, today I'm going to actually engage my neighbor spiritually. I'm so tired of just being quiet in my faith. And so he goes home and he sees his neighbor in the yard. And he goes out there and he doesn't know how he's going to do it. But he goes out and he says, hey, Joe, how you doing? And he's like, oh, good, I'm just picking up some branches between the yards. And, uh, and he's trying to think of how can I talk to this guy spiritually. And he just says this. He says, Joe, is there any way I can pray for you? And Joe says, well, to be honest with you, my wife and I, our marriage is really struggling right now. So you can pray for that. And then they started to talk a little bit more. And then he said, actually, my kids, they don't talk to me. There's a lot of tension there. And this conversation went on and the guy, by the end of it, the guy is bawling. He's weeping in his yard. And then this guy prays over Joe. And I'm driving on the way home from the church and the pastor calls me up and he says, Kev, guess what just happened? A guy in our church went home, spoke to some guy, his neighbor Joe in his yard, and he just tried to live out his faith spiritually. He just said, how can I pray for you? And he said, it opened this guy's heart, this guy Joe's heart. He opened his heart and he was able to share the gospel and he was able to pray over this guy. And the guy from my church said this. He said, for 10 years, I lived next to this guy and he never knew I believed in God or was a Christian for 10 years. And all I had to do was go out and say, Joe, how can I pray for you? And the opportunity was right there. That's our Jerusalem. That's our Jerusalem. 
God is calling us to reach our Jerusalem. And it's just a simple step of engaging people spiritually. Even if you don't know how, just say, hey, how can I pray for you? It doesn't have to be awkward. Most of the awkwardness that you feel when you engage people spiritually, we project that into the situation. So we make it awkward because we feel awkward. But if you don't feel awkward and you're just like, hey, Joe, how can I pray for you? He might be like, oh, I didn't know you prayed. Oh, yeah, I do. I pray. I believe, in, I believe in God. And, you know, God has done some amazing things in my life. But how can I pray for you? Just live out loud. Engage people spiritually. That is our Jerusalem. But God is also calling us to pray for and have his heart for the ends of the earth. That is what God is calling us to do. So that the gospel is proclaimed to every people group. And in the same way that we'd be soft to to going to our neighbor Joe. Or to be soft to saying, God, I'll go wherever you want. Or to be soft to say, Lord, take my children wherever you want them to go. And I'm not going to try to hold them here. Or to be soft to say, Lord, I am going to give financially to send people so that the gospel can go. The question is, how is God leading you and is your heart soft to that or are you bowing down to some idol in your life? And if you're like, if you're saying right now, let me tell you this, I am battling idols in my life every single week. It is a battle of idolatry and I am constantly on a daily basis having to say no No, I'm not believing that lie. I'm going to submit my life to Christ. And so all of us battle with idolatry. We battle with the idolatry of comfort. And man, Jonah was there. And so, you know, so let's not be too hard on Jonah because we're Jonah. You know, I battle with, you know, comfort and I battle with finding security and money and I battle with all these things. and, And I have to constantly say, those idols are promising, promising things that they will not deliver. They always lie. They always lie. And Jesus is the only one, the Father is the only one who says, trust me, I'm not going to give you all the answers, but you will be satisfied. And you will have within you flowing up life, eternal life, but trust me. And we're like, but I'm afraid. Trust me. I will not hurt you. I will not hurt you. I'm getting way off topic here. All right, let's continue. So let's look at Paul. Let's look at what Paul's vision was. So in in Romans 15, it's very interesting. And I want to kind of map out a little bit of Paul's thinking uh, when it comes to his passion to see the gospel taken to the ends of the earth. In Romans 15, it says this, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished. So that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I always struggle with it, Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Now, I did this verse. and And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, Not where Christ has already been named, lest I am building on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, and he quotes here from Isaiah, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul's ambition was that the gospel of Christ would go to everybody, and that everybody, those who have never heard will have an opportunity to hear. Those who have never been able to see will have an opportunity to see that every people group will have an opportunity at least once to hear the gospel of Christ. 
and to receive life. This is his vision. Now let's look at this. He says, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. Now look, here's a map of the Roman world at that time. And the dark orange is is part of the Roman world. Now over here we have Jerusalem. And up here we have Illyricum. Okay, And in Paul's missionary journeys that we see that happen through like Acts 13 to Acts 20, he is doing missionary journeys through this area. And he says from Jerusalem all the way up to Illyricum, the gospel has been proclaimed. And he went and did multiple journeys. And this took about 12 to 15 years to happen. Okay, And, um, and then he says this, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ to this entire region. Now that's interesting because if you look at this region, this region, all of the Roman Empire has between 45 and 60 million people. So the region that Paul was speaking about here might have about 20 million people, okay? Now scholars estimate that from Paul's missionary journeys, and it's an estimate, Um, The number of people who became believers in this region is probably somewhere between 20 and 40,000 believers. Okay, about 20 to 40,000 believers. Okay, so Paul says this, I have fully proclaimed the gospel. Basically, I've done my job. The gospel has been brought here. And now Paul is looking for another location. It's not that everybody believed here, but everybody believed had the opportunity to hear the gospel at least once. Everybody had the opportunity to respond. And even if not every person, at least now there's there's churches and there's believers and there's others here who can take the message to them. The gospel has been established enough in these areas that now can go out and now I need to take the gospel to those who have never heard, who have never had the opportunity even once to hear. So look at, let's continue on. Uh, it's always my pr- uh, ambition to preach where Christ was not known. Now we're picking up in 23 now. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions. So those regions where there's about 20 to 40,000 believers, Paul's like, I don't have any other room for work here. We need to see the gospel go to places where it was never proclaimed. He says, I hope that you will see me in passing as I go to Spain. I no longer have any room for work, and he's headed off to Spain. Okay. Now, Spain, at this point, this region out here, they've had no proclamation of the gospel. So these people out here, these people groups that live in this region are called unreached people groups. They are people groups who have little or no exposure to the gospel. In the world today... About 3.2 billion people are a part of what's called an unreached people group. 3.2 billion people. Now technically, just as a quick technical, an unreached people group is when there's less than 2% of the population are believers. And oftentimes it's far less than that. There are also what are called frontier people groups, which is a segment of an unreached people group. And that's where there's less than 0.1%. So less than one-tenth of 1% of people, of Christians in an area. And that's 25% of the world's population. 25% of the world's population 
has less than 0.1% where there are believers in this area. Paul's desire is to go to these unreached people groups because the gospel has been proclaimed here. And now we need to do work here. And that's Paul's vision. Do you see the difference between Jonah and Paul? You see the contrast between Jonah and Paul? And so Romans 13, uh, 15, 23 to 24 is focused on this area. In the world today, as you can see on some of the posters out there, there's about 17,000 uh, there's about 17,000 people groups. And of these people groups, there's about 7,000 that are considered unreached people groups unreached people groups. We as a church need to see the gospel taken and proclaimed in these areas. This is what we're called to be a part of. Now, I showed this last night, but I thought it would be interesting to show it again. I'm going to go through it really quickly. Um, In the United States, they say one out of every five people you meet is a believer. In Canada, they say one out of every 30 people you meet as a believer. In Italy, I'm talking about a believer who puts their faith in Christ alone for salvation. That salvation is by grace through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is through his work that I am cleansed, not from anything that I earn or do on my own. Uh, in, in Italy, they say one out of every thousand people is a believer uh, who, has, who has been born again. And with the Uyghur people in China, this is an unreached people group. It's one out of every 100,000 people. One out of every 100,000 people. This is an area of the world called the 1040 window. Most of the unreached people groups in the world live in this area. It's northern Africa, India, China, and so forth. Called the 1040 window because it's 10 degrees and 40 degrees above the equator. Okay. How many missionaries work among the unreached people groups? It's less than one out of every 10. Less than one out of every 10. We need to see the gospel taken. We need those who are willing to say, I will do whatever it takes to go and to see the gospel proclaimed. Out of every dollar that we spend in the church for all causes, out of every dollar that we spend, how much is being used to see the gospel taken to to almost half the world's population, to over 3 billion people? Less than a penny. Less than a penny is used to see the gospel taken to unreached people groups. So this is what we want to see happen. In the last 20 years, if we were to look at the fastest growing cities in the world, fastest growing cities, here you have the top 10. Nine out of 10, their primary religion is Islam. These are people who are trusting in their works. I have many, many Muslim friends and they're trusting in their hard work. I have many, many friends from all different religious groups who are trusting in their work. I can, if I work hard enough, I can earn my salvation and I'll finally be acceptable. If I can pray enough and give enough and go to church enough and do that, then God will love me. And that's not the gospel at all. That is not the gospel. And so we want to bring the gospel to these places. Nine out of ten are primarily Muslims. So you have Jonah who wasn't concerned about the unreached people group. He didn't care if they heard once. He wanted to actually die because he was so upset that God wanted him to go there and that they would repent. And then you have Paul over here who has a passion to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to hear about Jesus at least once and he is ready to pour his life out as a drink offering unto the Lord to see the gospel go out. That's the contrast. 
we have uh, brother, pastor. <laughs> what time should I end? In a minute? I forget. Three minutes. Oh, it's always three minutes. I think he just means that like, parab- like a uh, metaphorically. <laughs> oh, man. All right, four. I'm going to go with four. <laughs> we have um, a guy, we have a team in Italy. This guy, Masad from Bangladesh, uh, came to Christ. Our team members discipled him and coached him and he became passionate about the gospel and he shared the gospel with Dominic and Dominic from Bangladesh became a believer and Dominic's from Bangladesh and he went back to Bangladesh during COVID and he started to share with his family and friends and now, short, long story short, now we have two churches. We have a church of 20 here and another church of 18. This is an unreached people group. Uh, probably there are two churches of about 20 each and probably 15 or 16 people have become believers in each and the others are still seeking. But God is going out. Now, uh, Masad also shared with another Bangladeshi friend. And just about three months ago, this other Bangladeshi friend was sharing the gospel and he was attacked by a group and they broke both of his legs. And he was in the hospital for about three weeks and now he's out going through physical therapy. But he's passionate about the gospel. We, let, we led another guy to the Lord from Iran. This guy was passionate about the gospel so he starts talking with family and friends back in Iran, in Tehran. And before long a group of 45 people were gathering every week to study the scriptures. And so this was going on month after month after month. And then a number of these people became believers. And seven of them, this happened about six months ago, seven of them were gathering in a house and they were worshiping and praying and singing. And someone, one of their neighbors in Tehran overheard them singing and called the police. The police came, a bunch of them got away, but three of the guys of the seven got arrested. Within two weeks, they were given their sentence... They were all early 20s. The the one who's 20 years old, who was kind of the leader of this group, got a sentence of 22 years in prison and 300 lashes over a period of time. The other two guys got 18 years in prison and 300 lashes. These are guys who are passionate about the gospel. Because they were worshiping in a room, they were arrested. They were sent to a place called Evan Prison, which is one of the most notorious prisons in Tehran. There is... We just need to pray like they prayed for Peter in jail. We need to pray for these brothers who are willing to pour out their lives. Pour out their lives on the, on the altar to worship God, to see the gospel proclaimed. God is doing amazing things. The, Paul the apostle, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you, we can see a contrast between him and Jonah. Jonah was... Jonah knew about God, but he he didn't have a personal relationship with God. Jonah knew about grace, but he actually lived under law. Jonah didn't really understand God's vision because he was so consumed with his idolatry of comfort and pleasure. And Paul, on the other hand, we see Paul who says in in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, For Christ's love compels us compels us so he goes out and then in verse 14 second corinthians 5 14 he says so from now on let's no longer uh think of people from a worldly point of view 
Though we used to think of them this way, now in Christ we are a new creation, so we no longer view people from a worldly point of view. So Paul's perspective on people has changed. And then later in the passage he says, therefore, you know, he says, we are therefore um, Christ's ambassadors, as though God is making his appeal through us. This is what God is calling us to do. We are his ambassadors. We, the church today, is, is the hope, is God's plan to see the gospel taken out to the nations. And God is calling us to be a part. And I want to challenge you to hold your hands open, to fight the idolatries, to resist your, your idol-making heart, which are all of us have idol-making hearts, and to hold our hands open and say, God, if you want me to go, I will go. Lord, I commit to praying for your vision and your purpose and your mission and my part in it. And Lord, I will use my money and my resources and my time to see the gospel taken to this lost world. I pray that this is what you come to the Lord with. And I just want to close in prayer right now. Father, I just thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you have saved us. I thank you that you have rescued us. I thank you that your grace has reached down to us and we've done absolutely nothing to deserve it. And yet you've reached down to us and saved us, Lord. And I pray that as we meditate and think about your love for us, Lord, that we would be compelled by your love and that we would see this message of Jesus go out into the world, especially those who have never heard even once, that we would be committed to that mission, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.